Good day, and welcome to Free to be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program that was created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing incursions into religious life. The most recent incursion is the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. Governmental bodies had ordered churches closed to prevent the spread of the disease. Other impacts affect missionary efforts, outreach programs, and the like. The Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. is an organization that works with uh, politicians and opinion makers to educate them about people of faith. The center's executive director, the Reverend Dr. Greg Seltz, is with me today, and we're going to discuss about how his mission functions in the wake of the coronavirus, or does it, and some other matters that are related to it. Greg, welcome to the program. Kim, it's great to be here with you, as always. Well, boy, we are really seeing a, <laughs> an interesting uh, time in our country right now. I, yeah, I never thought absolutely. I would live to see uh, uh, a thing where the where government would sit, would order the churches to shut down. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, think about the fact that they're trying to shut the whole country down. And in that sense, you start to have to ask the question, okay, is this an appropriate reaction to what we're dealing with? But what we're starting to see is the church being singled out compared to other things, and that we can't have because now we're talking about constitutional protections. I would just say up front, whenever people's rights, whenever people's uh, First Amendment rights especially, but the Bill of, whenever the Bill of Rights is suspended, you should be very, very nervous because there are politicians who love to make use of that suspension. And, and I hate to say it, but we're starting to see some of it now. And uh, you told me that the uh, the center itself now has been shut down. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, all of Washington's been shut down. In fact, the the, the mayor of D.C. was actually uh, in, she was threatening fines, yes, tickets, yes, but even imprisonment for being caught outside of your uh, domicile. And and I was laughing about that because I thought they were letting out prisoners because of the coronavirus, and yet they were putting people in prison, or at least threatening to put people in prison. So it's a surreal time, and, and so nobody is really moving uh, in D.C. But that's happening um, on the East Coast, but it's starting to happen in almost in several major uh, urban areas as well. And so uh, people are going to have to talk about this because their rights are being uh, suspended. And the question is, is that a good thing or not? Yeah, I, I see what you're talking about. And uh, we've done this before in the past, uh, certainly you know, during the Civil War. Uh, Lincoln right. suspended habeas corpus, shut down newspapers, the whole routine. Uh, and of course, during the First World War, there was uh, enormous, uh, enormous repression of uh, dissent. Right. Newspapers, they even had, they even had, uh, even had uh, infiltrated churches to make sure that nobody was preaching against the war. And of course, we had World War II, where an entire group of people were imprisoned solely because of their ancestry. So yeah, right. there. There is precedent. There is precedent. There is precedent. Yeah. There is precedent. But uh, we be, but we go back and we look at some of those things. And, of course, some of that had to be done because of the, again, so when we talk about crises, I mean, that's what we're in. We're in a crisis, in a pandemic. And so we talked about the fact that the commandments, you know, we've got the commandment to honor the Lord, you know, in worship. But then we also have the commandment of thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not take innocent life, and, and of course, be, and benefiting our neighbors. So these commandments are, are kind of, uh, in tension with each other right now. God would not want us to be worshiping 
publicly if it absolutely was killing people because of it. So, you know, so we're, we're dealing with those tensions and pastors and people are dealing with those things, I think, magnificently right now. But what we want to make sure we understand here is when the government actually when the government takes control, our founding fathers thought that was the scariest time in our country because tyranny always comes through government. It never comes because free people are exercising their rights and free people exercising their religious faith and their rights are usually the way to come up with the greatest solutions to big problems. Giving it all to government is is the most inefficient way uh, to actually deal with these things in the long term. So here we are in a crisis. And so if it's limited, if it's reasonable, we are willing to suspend certain things for a time. The question comes when we start to think that time is up and the government says, uh, no, it's not. And, and people need to understand, for instance, the government right now, there's a couple of people that are leading the charge on this. Well, back in February, some of these same people were saying, you should go to the movies. You should actually go to Chinatown. You, don't don't close the borders. Don't do anything. They were telling us to go about our business because this pandemic was not going to affect us at all. Well, two months later, they're the same voices that are telling us we have to shut this uh, country down. And some of them are saying maybe even to the fall. And so when you ask this question, you're saying, wait a minute, how can you have you were either one of these guys who wanted to keep everything open all the time or you're one of these guys who want to shut it down from the beginning? Well, when the, the government's giving you, you know, same thing with the masks. That person said wearing masks made no difference. Now, you know, we found out Japan actually is that's their, their main thing. They're wearing masks and letting people go about their business. So, you know, when we start to ask these questions, we're saying, if you're going to shut all of us down and take all of our rights away, is this the right response? And, and if, it, if it was for a time, how do we move past that time? Because it's not a good thing if it's, if it's going to be indefinite. You're right, uh, Greg, and we've seen a number of examples. Uh, I've been following one, for example, in Kentucky, where uh, a, a church was actually having what they call uh, drive-in worship services. Where right. They would, uh, right. You know, that's how, the well, that's how, that's, and that's how uh, Robert Schuler started this church. I don't know if anybody knows that he started it as a drive-in church. But anyway, back to this. You're exactly right. They're honoring. They're honoring social distancing. They're practicing all the the uh, things that the that the government has told them to do. And the government decided that's not enough. You can't hold these services no matter what. Well, wait a minute. Um, yeah. That is they're overstepping their bounds there. And at least the courts have gotten involved and actually are, are honoring the church here. And they're actually binding the, the mayor of Louisville and saying, you, you don't have the right to do this. OK, I was going to say uh, in the the uh, church was very careful to follow the CDC uh, uh, rules and regulations, and they were well within those. But the mayor himself right. specifically went after the uh, went after churches, said he didn't care if they were in compliance or not. He's going to shut them down. Yeah. And more than that, he actually sent in the state police, and each uh, each uh, member of the church, each person who was in the in, who had attended, was fined five hundred dollars. Exactly. And they are taking their license plate numbers down. That's happening in Mississippi. Uh, but here's, you know, the thing that, that's getting to me, and I want our people to understand this, there's fundamental things that are at risk here. Uh, even, even, even if this thing passes, these little issues uh, pass, there are fundamental issues that are going on here. And the number one is uh, there are some people trying to use these kind of things to say that religion is non-essential, is a non-essential thing. 
And I want people to understand this isn't just a cultural constitutional issue. This is also something that's going to affect our mission as a church. The Founding Fathers believed religion and the practice of religion and the gathering of religion was essential to maintaining liberty for everybody. And if, if, someone, if someone can say, no, that's a non-essential, they're really saying it shouldn't be in the First Amendment. And, and so if you're going to say you can keep stores open and you can keep uh, you know, pharmacies open and you can keep these businesses open as long as they abide by these rules, then churches have to be part of those essential businesses. They have to be, because if they, you cannot shut a First Amendment organization down uh, while you're leaving other uh, organizations open. And that's the whole Trinity case about treating the church differently. You can't do that, uh, the Trinity uh, Supreme Court case in Missouri. And so that's the first thing. And the second thing is people don't understand this. They don't believe this is true. But there's a battle in our culture. There's a, the, the progressive secular people in our culture. They believe the church is the enemy of, of progress in America. And I've got a great quote from Robert Reich where he talks about, you know, all the things he talks about. People believe in the primacy of the individual and those who believe that there's a God. He talks about those who believe that human life is just uh, a moment of you know, time and there's an eternal life between those who believe in science, re- religion and dogma. Or, you know, all these different things. And he finally says terrorism is a problem, but this religious stuff is the greatest danger we face. Well, you, you, you have to ask yourself the question, whoa, and he's teaching public policy at one of our major universities. So I always try to explain to people, we have to fight for the foundation of religion as being a First Amendment uh, right and a responsibility, because it actually helps us in our mission of proclaiming the gospel, too. So that's the bigger battle. And some of these skirmishes are just mayors who think, yeah, the church is not essential. It needs to be shut down. And if not now, maybe forever. And that was de Blasio's threat in New York City, too. So that's what scares me more than anything else. And uh, then the governors and uh, mayors in other cities are saying, you know, churches are not essential. However, elective abortion is. See, what's interesting is, you know, people say, keep your politics out of this right now. Let's just get the country back on, on track. Well, then you see what the Virginia governor is doing. And right now he's putting through the most uh, expansive abortion protections where even even if the child's born, uh, you can still kill the child. Uh, and then he's also confiscating guns. Now he's starting to confiscate uh, guns. And you look at that and you go, wait a minute, I thought we were all supposed to put a moratorium on politics. And this guy is grabbing for everything he can get. And, and, and that's a nefarious thing. I mean, I don't, no matter what your politics are, that stuff's nefarious. And, and so when we start to see you know, law-abiding citizens losing their rights and innocent people. Uh, you know, give me this. If you can kill a baby uh, that's born alive, if you can do that, then what's the reason why you'd want to leave like an older person alive who really now, you know, has all these complications? It, to me, philosophically, that's the next step of where they're going. And we're, we have to push back on this because we believe the sanctity of life is important for all. But they're doing this in the middle of the pandemic. That's their people. Well, you've heard the uh, expression, uh, they let uh, no crisis go to waste. And I think we've yeah. certainly seen examples of that, you know, when the, uh, the uh, CARE bill, was, the CARES uh, Act was held up in Congress because there was so much pork put into it, everything from collective bargaining to making sure that uh, the, uh, uh, what is it, the, the symphony gets funding, things along, uh, CP, yeah. uh, Corporation for Public Broadcasting got funding. What the heck did that have to do with 
pan with the uh, with the coronavirus. Absolutely nothing. But it fit in to what they were trying to get to use the crisis to get this stuff passed. And fortunately, well, and a will. lot of it was stopped. And but you know, like well, you're saying, uh, uh, you know, even you know, with the Bill of Rights, that is the basic foundation. It's there specifically to place. Uh, 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 limits on what government can and cannot do. And as you pointed out, for example, uh, Governor Northam of, uh, of Virginia now is actually confiscating guns. And other yeah, states and are shutting down the gun shops. And it, this has been ruled time and time again that this is essential. This is a freedom. It's guaranteed by the yeah, Second well, Amendment. And the Supreme Court has upheld it several times. And the thing about it, people need to understand the Bill of Rights was written especially for times like this. And so if there is a suspension of it, again, you should be very fearful of that because once a, once these things are suspended, uh, certain certain things are unleashed. And that's why they need to go back in their box pretty quickly. Um, but I'll give you an example of what we were doing when they were trying to put this CARES Act together. We were in dialogue with a lot of Congress uh, uh, senators, offices and congressmen and congresswomen's offices. You know, we were saying not only... Do we need to do this? But we need to do this correctly. So not just keep the pork out, but we are actually saying, why, why are you making people uh, wait on a check from the government when you can just suspend withholding taxes and, for, and forgive that for a time? And then people get to keep the money they already have, have and money they've already earned, because that's the better way to see this thing, because it's not the government's money coming back to you. It's your money going to the government and coming back to you. So that was one thing we were fighting for. Of course, they didn't do it because. You know, there's a certain kind of ideas. They want to be the ones that look like they're saving people. And the second thing was we were saying expand the charitable deduction so that even if you take even if you take the standard deduction, you can still count your charitable uh, giving, uh, uh, you know, as a write off. And of course, that was eliminated in the tax reform. We thought that was a bad thing. Um, and it still is. Well, we just kept thinking, isn't it better for people to put their money to work freely in their neighborhoods and communities and churches and in charitable organizations rather than for the all go to the government and the government decides how to be charitable back in your neighborhood? Well, both of those things were kind of pushed back on, and we're going to push back on them again if they come up with a CARES 2 Act because even doing these things correctly uh, has long-term effects for whether or not you're going to have freedom when it's all said and done. And the, the government cannot replace a uh, $25 trillion uh, a private economy, and no matter how much money they print. And so these are the kind of things that are going on right now, and we're positioned in D.C. to be part of that dialogue pushing back on this, because if you just kind of roll over, um, then, then none of this gets done properly, and then, then it, it looks like a whole different country when it's done. What was some of the feedback you were getting in D.C. when you were talking to the congressional people and uh, opinion makers? Well, again, you know, I tell people, you know, your your vote matters because right now, because of the fact that the, the, uh, the that certain ideologies are kind of in balance in D.C., that's one of the reasons why they can't push some of these good things through that protect our rights. Um, because there's other groups that are using government. They want the government to be the solution to everything. And that's what's going on in D.C. And if you kind of vote people who believe the government solves all your problems, this is what you get. And so I tell people, I said, uh, there's a lot of people fighting very hard for your liberties. But but think about this. If you're a, a an official, government official, your natural tendency is to want to empower yourself. 
Well, the guys that we send to D.C., we want them to empower us. It's, it's kind of a contradictory uh, motive. But there are people up there doing their job, trying to empower us. But that makes them vulnerable to this process, uh, too. So I'm hearing great things. People are fighting hard for us. Um, but there are people that believe the exact opposite. They don't believe the church is an essential item, even though it's constitutional. And they believe the government's the solution. And those are the people that we're, you know, tussling with uh, in the middle of this. I was reading an article the other day uh, where the writer had, had done some extensive quotes from uh, de Tocqueville's Democracy in America. And uh, de Tocqueville had made an observation that when a wagon breaks down in the, U in the U.S., everybody pitches in and solves the problem themselves. He said, that doesn't happen right. in Europe. They wait for the government, for the uh, authorities to come in and take care of the problem for them. And that this was one of the very distinctive differences between us and Europeans. Are we losing this? Well, even just, yeah, well, absolutely. And I, because people, uh, people have been led to believe, and, I, and, and that's what I'm saying. When you, when you go to an education system from K to 12 and you go to university today, and more and more you're hearing a secular view of what America should be, um, you lose that self-motivated, self, uh, religiously motivated, self-disciplined, I can take care of my problems. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about individualistic. I'm saying that I take individual responsibility within my family and community. You're losing that sense because somehow they believe that won't accomplish the big things. In reality, it's exactly the opposite. Small businesses are what actually give us tremendous capacity to solve big issues. Um, and Europe is exactly the opposite. Small businesses are not the big deal. Individuals not the big deal. Government and major businesses are the big deal. So the average person just sits and waits for them to solve the problem. Guess what? Government is the least efficient, uh, most prone to corruption institution in any culture. And our founding fathers said, we know that, so we're going to bind it and free uh, the rest of the people. Our country is 90% small businesses. And that's what we're killing right now. And if your country is 90% small businesses and you're killing that, how do you expect that you're going to be able to solve the next pandemic crisis if, you, if you've lost your capability for entrepreneurship? And that's what I'm also telling people. This is a health issue, too, if we shut the country down and shut our churches down. Uh, there's all kinds of issues that are at stake here. Oh, absolutely. We're seeing it every day. And uh, as you pointed out, the question is, when this thing is over, right. how can we undo the the, uh, the the restrictions that we had imposed because this was supposedly necessary? That's very important mm -hmm. for us to do it, and I'm not sure how it's going to happen. Either, and and that's one of the reasons. I mean, our president, I think, has been doing a phenomenal job on this stuff. He did the hard stuff early on when nobody said he should, and now he's trying to figure out how to open the country up. And he is actually letting the governors, you know, do their thing, too. So, I, again, I see a, a healthy balance between these things. And some of the states that are dealing with these really overbearing governors and, and uh, mayors, they're, they're rising up to this, too. But here's the thing. Common sense. Sanctified common sense. Listen for good information and critically think about these things. And so, yes, I understand if the, the COVID virus, if the only way we can solve this is to flatten the curve. Well, that's a, a one month or a month and a half process. But it, I always said to somebody said, if you put a plastic bag over your head and tighten it, you won't get coronavirus. 
but she'll die of asphyxiation. <laughs> and, and I said, so, so there's other mitigating factors here and, and our, our, our livelihoods, our ability to, to actually solve these things and to have businesses that can rise up to the occasion and fund people's livelihoods and give them food and housing and all that. That's, that's the other side of this, and, and people are starting to walk through that. Now, here's the point. I've heard some people say we're, we can't open up the country until we d- completely annihilate this virus. Well, that's not going to happen. So if you won't open the country until you can say no one will get uh, coronavirus ever again, well, then you might as well kiss America goodbye. But I wonder again, you know, why are, why are people so scared about this? I know there are people dying, of, and it's, it's an incredibly difficult thing. But 99% of people who get this virus, they, they actually get it a couple weeks later, they're fine. And then they develop an immunity to this. Well, if 98 to 99% of the people who get this aren't going to get violently ill like we're seeing, then why are we putting you know, hosp- cameras in hospital rooms uh, and, and actually looking at this? Because in a lot of other pandemics, we didn't even see the face of a lot of the people who were passing away. I start to wonder, are we being frightened? Uh, for another reason. And so I'm saying there, there's going to come a point where we have to critically think, get good information, maybe wearing masks and, and social distancing allows us to go back to work. Uh, again, as we develop a, vi- a vaccine for this, then we have to actually participate in being vaccinated. But again, if you shut the whole country down to try to annihilate this, that just seems to me to uh, not only is it unreasonable, there's got to be another reason why that's your solution. Well, the president said, uh, that we have to make sure that the cure isn't worse than the disease. And I think people misunderstood Correct. that in that uh, <laughs> if we beat the coronavirus but ruin our economy in the process, and you know, we're facing right. unemployment that we haven't seen since the uh, Great Depression. And that lasted for 10 well, years. That, was... that took a world war to end it. Yeah, and, and even some of the government's intervention actually extended the didn't solve it. And that's exactly what Trump understands is that only only Americans are going to get us out of this thing. It's not going to be government. But, you know, like you just said, um, you know, there's all kinds. If we can now say that this virus kills particular groups of people, which we are starting to find out it does, like the, the, the last pandemic actually killed young people, it actually killed uh, children were vulnerable, uh, middle, uh, young people were vulnerable. This one doesn't seem to do that. Uh, it seems to actually attack people who have underlying issues. So if that's the case, we can say, let, let's protect this group of people and that group of people. We can actually say social distancing with masks, and we can probably get back to a, a relatively normal life pretty quickly. But you can't just say everybody's got to stay in their home, uh, even if, because the virus doesn't attack everybody the same. So it's, it's, it's really interesting to see how this is working its way out. I think there's going to be common sense, a healthy love for neighbor, all that's going to be part of what we do as we move forward. I think so, too. Uh, in fact, we have uh, one of our neighbors uh, has uh, given a, uh, an email blast to all the, the neighbors around here saying, let's get together, let's help, let's, who can help, what can we do? And, you know, this is the type of thing that, that well, what the Tocqueville was writing about, don't wait for the government. Right. Don't wait for the authorities. There are things that we can do and that we should do. This is our heritage. This and is... and it, yeah, the total, you know, and the other thing we haven't really talked about is the motivation. Internal things, which are now being kind of subjugated for a time, those are still the things that hold you, that last, that motivate you, 
that that allow you to, you know, in Jesus' day, touching the lepers and going into the leper communities and those kinds of issues. There were certain people who didn't worry about those barriers. They were willing to suffer whatever the consequences because loving the neighbor was more important. And I'm saying those eternal things are still the things that really matter because they motivate a healthy response to any crisis. And right now, that's the other thing we're talking about is that if you don't have these eternal um, uh, messages, motivations, our relationship to God, love that comes to our faith in God and love toward neighbor, then even these practical things break down eventually. And so the church needs to understand it's, it's needed now more than ever. So we'll find ways to help people. We'll find unique ways to help people in this, in this specific time. But we got to get back to the basics uh, eventually, too, because they, there is no practical scientific solution that's going to finally overcome people's fears. Uh, because when people get afraid of stuff like this, you know, they see they see trouble around every corner and, and they just don't think, how are you going to survive any of that? And that's where your faith in God actually says, no, we can walk through all of these things uh, together and, and we'll look we'll even look out for you uh, when you're afraid. Well, you know, Luther actually addressed this issue specifically uh, when there was a, the plague was going through Wittenberg, and he actually wrote a letter there right. uh, stating the, the theological point of view of, of what people should do according to the vocation. And uh, again, that was right down to the individual. Don't wait for the don't wait for the Duke or whoever it is to come in and do something. This is what we can do as Christians. Luther was very specific yeah. about that. Yeah, because our life's eternal. So if our life's eternal, then each of these days, they matter in how we respond as God's people to those in need. And so when you only think that your life is, uh, you know, 90 years and it's or 80 years and it's over, well, then you're going to act differently about these, these things, too. And so Luther is pointing out our vocations were meant to be right in the middle of these things. And that pandemic was way worse than what we're dealing with now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the plague. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and interestingly, again, even first... back in the even back in the Roman times, when the the plague swept the empire, you know, it, it's made a number of uh, surges throughout Europe. Uh, the people who stayed and, and helped were the Christians. See, that's my point, and that, that's what I'm saying. I said our faith is needed now more than ever, and eventually, we're going to be the ones who journey out to help people before. Uh, government intervention stuff uh, works. And that's got to be, there's got to be a, a commonsensical understanding of, of getting back to uh, exercising our, our rights and our responsibilities for the sake of our neighbor. Because our founding fathers said that's the ultimate solution to every issue. And so it's suspended right now, and we're nervous about people saying it should be suspended indefinitely. Yeah, those are people that we need to start to push back on eventually. Well, uh, Greg, we're about out of time, and uh, you've raised some interesting issues. And yeah, there is a huge danger here, not just the danger of the disease, but the danger of the cure. Let me just say this real quick. God is in control, everybody. He's still working to preserve and to save. And the good news is that we just need to uh, try to understand how he's at work so we can be faithful to that, because uh, we're going to get through this. Well, that's the name of the program, Free to be Faithful. Thank you once again, Greg, the Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. You've been listening to Free to be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for listening and supporting Free to be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.